Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, We're continuing in in this series on Ezra, but I wanted to share something with you quickly because some of you, you know, may not know this. Uh, about me, and um, please don't judge, but I post a lot of silly, goofy stuff online on social media, okay, like like just crazy stuff, funny stuff, music stuff, dance stuff, I don't dance, but just, just, just funny stuff, um, and I do it because, well, it's just who I am, but, um, which actually a lot of you need to pray for Christy a lot more, because she has to put up with all this, but... Uh, when I do that, right, there's a lot of people that like the guilt, the, the silly, the goofy, crazy stuff that I post, and so they will follow to watch that. But at the same time, because it's also who I am, I post a lot of biblical stuff, like about God, about the Word of God, about His truth. And some people who just like the silly, they will stop following, and they'll be like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear about the God, which is okay. That, that's for either of them. But there's some people who are like, okay... Uh, what, what One guy, this is the way he put it, he said, I don't believe in your God, but I like the way that you talk about him, so I'm going to keep following you. All right? So there are some people who just like the silly and the crazy stuff, uh, and they follow for that, but they also get the God stuff. And one of the, the questions that they ask, I just had a couple of people online ask me, one person was asking about um, something that Jesus said in Luke, and I was like, okay, I'll... I, respond to that, and so I said, are you okay if I respond in a video, because it's easier, because when you're doing this, like, on some social media sites, they only give you, like, so many characters that you can type, and things get lost in translation, he said, yeah, so uh, I put together a video, posted it on TikTok, responding to his question, and then someone else asked another question, when they saw that video, they said, hey, if you're answering questions, I want to know about this, and they asked about the Sabbath, and I asked them the same thing, are you okay if I put it in the video, because it's a long question. You only get like so many characters, um, and I'll respond to that later today. But one of the most common questions I get from people on social media, people that don't know anything about God and are just like, okay, you're talking a lot about God. One of the things they ask is, is the Old Testament still relevant? Does that still matter? Because they look and say, you know, you have earrings, you have earrings, you say you have tattoos and all that. Uh, And, you know, the Old Testament speaks to those things. Is it still relevant? How does that mesh up? So I answer a lot of their questions, but I tell them and try to, you know, form it the same way that I tell you guys. It's not just relevant, that it's the foundation upon which the New Testament is built, right? You, you You can't do away with the Old Testament You just have to understand it and how it applies, because without the Old Testament, the New Testament means nothing, it doesn't exist. And it's like, and I usually use this example, it's like uh, math, those of us, I don't know if you guys did it, but I did it in class when they were teaching like math, and I'm like, am I ever going to use this in life again? Like when they're teaching trigonometry, and you have all these big giant rulers, and you're trying to make all the things, and, and, and the cosine of the sine and all this stuff, and I'm like, when in life... Am I ever going to use this? In a grocery store, it's not going to matter. Now, I will tell you this, because it's funny to me. Jake's not here, so let's talk about him in a good way, okay? Um, because Jake, not a fan of math, right? That's, he told me that hundreds of times, not a fan of math. But, uh, not, not yesterday, but another conversation I had with him, I think it's when we were out shooting, 
And, and, and I had to tell him this. He was like, I was like, Jake, how do you know, you know, how far, uh, based on how far the target is, you know, um, what, what size bullet you're going to use and all that. And, and this, this is Jake, not a fan of math. He's like, based on the distance to the target, your elevation above the target, because we were on a hill shooting down, uh, and the size of the target, uh, you're going to have to know what size bullet you're going to need to take down the target, because there's a different size bullet that you're going to use to take down a bird than, like, a deer and all this stuff. And I'm like, Jake, that's that math that none of us ever like to use, triangulations, and, and he's like, yeah, all, all that stuff that comes into play. I was like, that's what you're using. He's like, no, it's not. I just know we need this size bullet. But that, that's, that's the way it works. Things that we don't even think we're going to have to apply math in, we use it all the time. And the same is true for the New Testament. Things that we think, hey, we're never ever going to have to, you know, worry about one of the Old Testament laws using the bathroom outside the camp. Not going to apply to us. We're never going to have to worry about that. We adore our indoor, indoor plumbing. We pay tens of thousands to have our bathrooms redone, right? But, we don't realize that it's built on the same foundation. That it's a matter of, of, of applying Old Testament principles to make the New Testament true. It's not, is the Old Testament relevant? It's without the Old Testament, the New Testament is not relevant and doesn't work. And when you start going through books of the Old Testament like we do, like we're walking through the book of Ezra, and one of the things that you see is uh, stuff in the Old Testament, like prophecy, is fulfilled. The only reason why we are able to say, hey, all the New Testament prophecies about the return of Christ, why we believe those is because we've seen over and over where the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled. Right? So uh, we talked about Cyrus, who is a historical person, Cyrus, and how from a biblical standpoint, 200 years before Cyrus was born, God said, I'm going to raise you up, I'm going to make you a king, I'm going to make you wealthy, I'm going to make you a leader, but I'm going to use you to set my people free. And we see throughout the Bible, if you're reading through the Daily Bible with us, we're reading Jeremiah and Ezekiel, where over and over it talks about how Israel is going to go into captivity, and we saw that happen, and we're looking through Ezra to where they says they, can, they came out of captivity, and we saw that prophesied, and we also saw historically all of this is true. So my confidence, not only in the Bible, but in what God is able to do, is built on not just prophecy, but on history. Cyrus, real person, you can Google him. Medi Persian Empire, real empire, you can Google it. Uh, you can Google the fact that they did take over and destroy Jerusalem. You can Google the fact that later... Cyrus was the one who said, yeah, you guys can go back. Historically accurate, but also it assures us of God's sovereignty. When we look through and see all of these Old Testament things, and when God said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and then we see he did, he did, he did, and we don't see it just in this book, but we see it in history that says he did, he did, he did, and we're like, yeah, we serve a sovereign God who is sovereign over the fears of men, but specifically, what we're going to look at and continue to look at is his sovereignty over governments. Because that's a big issue right now, right? Because we're rolling into the, uh, uh, the political um, uh, election days and, and the calls and the ads are getting more and more and more and more. And, and here's the thing. Christians who are Republican and Christians who are Democrat are each saying, hey, this is what God wants. No, this is what God wants. And if you're a Christ follower, 
uh, you need to know that neither of those is what God wants. God has a, another plan in store, which is what we're going to look at, but we're going to see how God's sovereignty over governments plays out in the book of Ezra and how it's going to play out in our lives. So if you have a Bible, um, actually I went too far, this thing is not working, right? No, it's not. Okay, have a Bible, open it up to the book of Ezra, chapter, I think we're in chapter 7. But yeah, so let me share these verses with you quickly. Uh, One of the things that we talked about, and I'm going to reiterate it again because it's going to be a crucial part of everything we're going to read. And this is from Acts chapter 5, verse 29, right, where the the apostles, uh, their local government had given them a command and said, hey, do not preach in the name of Jesus. They basically said, hey, we are commanding you or, or forbidding you from doing what God commands. You are forbidden. You cannot preach in the name of Jesus. Their response, they replied, hey, we must obey God rather than men. Okay? So, yes, governments are sovereign. We're going to look at uh, uh, in Romans where it said that um, we are supposed to obey the governments. But again, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, as long as those governments are not forbidding us to do what God commands or commanding us to do what God forbids. And as long as that's not the case, then yes, what Paul says in Romans is true. Let every person be loyally subject to the governing civil authorities. For there is no authority except from God by his permission, his sanction, and those that exist do so by God's appointment. Excuse me. So if we have a government that, and and they're not commanding us to do what God forbids, and they're not forbidding us from doing what God commands, then yeah, then, then we, we, especially the church, the people of God, we're supposed to, okay, I, I'll, whatever, you want to change daylight savings? I'm going I'm to do that again. You want to put up extra stop signs? Okay, all of those things, we will abide by it. Again, as long as you're not commanding us to do what God forbids and forbidding us doing what God commands. But then it also says this, and this is where people get lost. Paul also says, for he, and he's referring to who, specifically at that time he was referring to the emperor. But it's to any official that is in a position of civil authority at the local, the state, the federal level. He or her is God's servant for your good. Now, most people read the rest of the verse and they forget about that first sentence. Right? They read the part that says, if you do wrong, dread him and be afraid. He doesn't bear the sword for nothing. Not a, yeah, that's true. But the most important part is that government official is God's servant for your good. They are supposed to serve God too. When that says serve God, what it means is they're supposed to abide by God's justice and God's morality. And when they are doing that, then yeah, we the church, we're supposed to say, okay, I'm in. I can, I can, I can get on board with that. Even some of the stuff that may not make sense, as long as it's not forbidding me from doing what God commands, or commanding me to do what God forbids, I I can get on board with that. I may not be comfortable with it. We live in a nation where we have the ability, if we're not comfortable with it, uh, we can protest, we can write letters, we can call your congressman, you can fire them. You know, and not just vote them out, but ones that have recall elections. You're done, we can't take this anymore, you're out. We live in a nation, but this is a global thing, because not every nation is like that. And as Mark has talked about in the past, uh, there are nations, persecuted church that we refer to, where they're being killed, they're being uh, uh, thrown out of their homes, they're, they're losing their businesses because they're not abiding by it, because 
they are choosing to do what God commands, and there are nations that forbid them from doing what God commands, which is to even go to church or share the gospel. So if you have your Bible, uh, all this is a preface to what we're going to read about today. Have a Bible, open it up to Ezekiel chapter 7. Oh, sorry, Ezra chapter 7. Yeah, Ezekiel is a whole different, whole different animal, a um, whole different book. Okay, Ezra chapter 7. And I think we are in verse 11. We're going to start at verse 11. So, uh, this, verse 11, this is what it says. This is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes, also actual king, historical figure, had given to Ezra the priest, the teacher, a man learned in matters concerning the commands and decrees of the Lord for Israel. And you're going to see how this teaching just like we talked about a few weeks ago, the teaching, the fact that he was teaching God's law and God's morality and God's justice, extremely important, even to the governor. He says this, verse 12, Ezra, king of kings to Ezra, the priest, a teacher of the law, the God of heaven, greetings. Now I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and Levites, who wish to go to Jerusalem with you, may go. You are sent by the king and the seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Make sure you understand that he says, hey, now there was, when we started reading the book of Ezra, there was a group of, of people that went back. This is a second group of people under a, uh, actually the fourth leader and regime that is now saying, hey, you can take a group of people and go back but I want you to go check up on the people that are there and make sure that the church is being the church. Right? Make sure they're doing the things that they're supposed to be doing because, again, government has that right to say, hey, make sure that you guys are abiding by the law. Jump over to verse 21. This is what it says. Now I, King Artaxerxes, order all the treasures of Trans-Euphrates, that's the area that it was called, to provide with diligence whatever Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of God of heaven, may ask of you up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred um, baths of olive oil, and salt without limit. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. And here's, this is important, why should there be wrath against the realm of the king? And again, this is not necessarily a king who believed in God, but it was a king who acknowledged, hey, God's morality... And God's justice, there's a consequence if we don't follow it, right? And this is the same king who probably would have uh, known of uh, what happened with Cyrus and known of what happened with uh, Daniel and all the people while they were in captivity. Uh, now jump over to verse 25, and it says this, And you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of Trans-Euphrates, all who know the laws, the laws of your God, and you are to teach any who do not know them. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. And here's what he's saying. Hey, I want you to go back, make sure that the church is doing what the church is supposed to be doing, but the people that don't know your God, make sure they understand God's laws, God's justice, and God's morality. Because governments have a responsibility, not for their own, but for, to make sure that we, the people, just like we read in Romans, are abiding by God's laws and God's morality. We, the people, have a responsibility to obey that, again, provided, provided, as it said in Acts, 
that you're not telling us to do something that God said we shouldn't do. Because we must obey God rather than human beings. And here's the thing. In Acts, when uh, Peter says this, that word must is not like I must obey or I'm going to get in trouble. Like, if I don't obey, my parents are going to spank me, I'll get punished. It's not that kind of must. It's a word that's used that means I'm compelled to because of what's inside of me. And the indication is, hey, because of God's Holy Spirit inside of me, it doesn't matter what you say. If it conflicts with what God says, then the Holy Spirit in me is going to compel me to obey God rather than to obey you. And that should be the truth for every Christ follower. We are supposed to, I'll obey the government, but if you tell me to do something that God forbids, or forbids me from doing something that God commands, the Holy Spirit in me is going to be like, sorry, I'm going to side with God. I must every single time. And here's the problem. A lot of the churches, and I'm, I can't say who has the Holy Spirit of God or not, but a lot of the churches, when the government either commands what God forbids or forbid what God commands, you would think, again, the Holy Spirit, I must obey, but they're not. They're siding with the government when it commands them to do what God forbids or forbids them to do what God commands. All right, we're going we're gonna, to um, finish this, and I totally lost my place there. All right, so jump over now to uh, verse 31 uh, of chapter 8. Chapter 8 just lists all the people uh, from Israel and their descendants who went back and what they brought with them. But in verse 31 of chapter 8, it says this, On the twelfth day of the first month, we, this is Ezra speaking, set out from the Hava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. On the fourth day, in the house of our God. So they rested three days, got up, went to church. On the fourth day, we weighed out the silver, the gold, sacred articles in the hands of Merimeth, son of Uriah the priest. Eleazar, son of Phinehas, was with him. And so were the Levites, Josebed, son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, son of Benui. Everything was accounted for by number and weight, and the entire weight was recorded at that time. Then the exiles who had returned from the captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven male lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's orders to the royal satraps, to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, who then gave assistance to the people in the house of God. They showed up. They said, here's all the stuff that we have for you as the church. Now, we as the church, we need to get about doing the business that God has called us to. Because ideally... Right When the government is doing what it's supposed to do and the people of God are doing what it's supposed to do, we work great hand-in-hand together because when we're working hand-in-hand, then families are better. Right? Because when the church is teaching, we're teaching, uh, we're not condemning people for not obeying God, but we're teaching God's morality, what's right and what's wrong, then families are better. The government wants families to be better. Right? Government doesn't want families to be in disarray. They want families to be better. And um, uh, some of you may remember, some of you may not, decades ago, when we taught God's morality in school, we taught what was right and wrong. The Ten Commandments were in the school. And it wasn't about forcing people to worship God. It was about letting people know that this morality of what's right and wrong comes from God. Crime was a lot less. Still had people who did crazy things, but it was a lot less 
right? And, and, and what was taught was to respect authority, because all authority comes from God. So respect authority, respect your teachers, respect police, respect the government. Families were doing better. And when families are doing better, then communities are doing better. Right? Because then communities aren't in disarray. And when there are communities that have a need or things aren't going right, uh, if you look at churches today, uh, especially now during um, you know, this whole uh, pandemic, uh, food banks, not all of them come out of churches, but a lot of them come out of churches. Food banks that come out of churches, uh, clothing lockers that come out of churches, after-school programs that come out of churches that serve the community, not just the people that go to that congregation, but that serve the community. Because the idea is, hey, we want communities to be better. And when families are better and communities are better, then we get to see that God's plan is being fulfilled. Right? Government, congregations, the church, when we work hand in hand, the world is a beautiful place. But when we don't, there's chaos. When we're at odds with one another then the families aren't better. That's why we have some families saying, I want Trump, and some families saying, you know, I want Biden, because they're not saying, hey, I want God's morality. They're saying, I want this individual and what he wants. And there's nothing against none, not to get a political statement. But here, let me, let me share this last thing as we begin to wind down. Okay? Um, shameless plug again. Uh, there's a reason that over and over it is reiterated that Ezra was a teacher, right? One, uh, he knew God's law, but also he as a teacher who was in Babylon, well now Persian Empire, would have been familiar with the fact that Daniel was a preacher and a prophet. And if you're reading again through the daily Bible with us, even Jeremiah and Ezekiel are referring back to Daniel, talking about what Daniel had been preaching. And Daniel, uh, really quick, shameless plug, uh, starting in October, Mark is going to lead us through the book of Daniel. Uh, we're going to do it again, online Bible study. Uh, we'll probably stream it. I don't know. We've got to work with that. Uh, stream it so that those who don't want to join the actual Zoom Bible study, you can watch it. Uh, but it, Daniel, the book of Daniel talks about prophecy, history, God's plan for humanity. But Daniel also talked about here's God's ultimate, ultimate, ultimate plan with respect to government. And I'm going to share that quickly. Mark will go into more detail uh, when we go through the Bible study. Uh, in Daniel chapter 7, this is what it says. As I watched, uh, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient One took his seat. That's God. His clothing was white as snow. The hair on his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames with wheels of burning fire. So this is the vision that God gave to Daniel to reveal what was going to happen to the people of Israel. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background. The vision that he gave them mirrored an actual dream that Nebuchadnezzar had regarding future kingdoms. He, God gives to Daniel more insight about, about those future kingdoms that were visions of, of beasts, but he also gives them insight about God's eternal kingdom. Uh, and Daniel... Chapter 7, 13, it says this, I kept watching the night visions when I saw coming with the clouds of heaven, heaven, someone like a son of man. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. 
To him was given rulership, glory, and the kingdom so that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His rulership is an eternal rulership that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. He gave him uh, information about, hey, there's going to be this nation that rises up. It's going to be this nation that rises up. And then he also talked about something that's going to, it was future to them, but also future to us, where he starts talking about the Antichrist. And again, it's prophecy, and the reason why we in the church believe it is because we've seen every prophecy that God has predicted. He was right. It came to pass. So we expect this one too. He says, my spirit deep with me was troubled. Visions in my head frightened me. I approached one of these standing by, asked him, what is this really meant? Uh, He said that he would make me understand how to interpret these things. And the thing I love about the Bible is when the Bible interprets the Bible. So he gives them a vision of these beasts, which I didn't go into detail about that. Uh, But then he comes and he tells them how to interpret it. And one of the beasts, the final kingdoms that he talks about is one that we have yet to see. All of the other kingdoms that he talked about were ones that were going to subjugate and have rule over Israel. That's specifically why he gave him that vision, because he was saying, here's what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. I want you to know that I'm going to keep my word and you'll be restored. Historically, all of those other kingdoms happened. All of those other kingdoms subjugated Israel. What hasn't happened yet is this one. And he says, as for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kingdoms will rise... And yet another will rise after them. He'll be different from the earlier ones. And he will put down three kings. He'll speak words against the Most High, that's God, and try to exhaust the Holy Ones of the Most High. He will attempt to alter the seasons and the law, and the Holy Ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But when the court goes into session, God's eternal court, he will be stripped of his rulership which will be consumed, completely destroyed, then the kingdom, the rulership, the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. Their kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey them. God's eternal plan is that we, the people of God, we who are in the church, that we would today, right now, be examples of what it's like to be in God's kingdom. And when we work hand-in-hand with government, we can show the world what that's like. God's morality, God's justice. This is right, this is wrong. Murder is wrong, stealing is wrong, treating one another with respect, regardless of race, creed, or color, that's right. That's what we're supposed to show the world. Because eventually, the whole world is going to be ruled by God and the church. His people, his followers. Why is God going to have his people ruling the world? Because we understand God's morality. Not that we're trying to force other people what to do. Because of the Holy Spirit in us, we know what's right and what's wrong. That's what we're supposed to demonstrate to the world today, though so that they know it. And unfortunately, one of the only ways we can do that is by working hand-in-hand with government, unless, again, it's a government that commands us to do what God forbids, or forbids us from doing what God commands. But the church can't do that when the church is divided, and half are supporting this government, 
type of government if this leader is elected, and the other half are supporting this type of government if this leader is elected. Because the words Democrat and Republican do not appear anywhere in the Bible. What God is going to end up with is not a democratic government, not a republican government. It's a theocracy where God's righteousness and justice rule and reign forever. And we, the church, are supposed to be an example of that today. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we know that the people of God are are hurting and divided because of everything going on in our nation. And unfortunately, rather than looking to you, we are looking to men of either the Democratic Party or men of either the Republican Party to lead us, to guide us, and to give us hope. But we realize through your word that our hope does not rest in men. It rests in the one who gave his life for us, in your son Jesus Christ. It rests in the forgiveness that he extends to us, the love, grace, and mercy that he pours out on us and makes available to all men. God, we pray that your people would embrace and support your word, your justice, your righteousness. And we realize and we are grateful that we live in a nation where we get to elect uh, uh, an official to, to reside and, and, and to be president over us because many nations don't have that. They're just forced to obey whoever has the most power and takes it by force. So we are grateful for that. We are thankful for that. But we're also grateful and thankful that you alone are God. You alone are sovereign. And that the end goal is that we would rule and reign with your son Jesus Christ forever. So we pray that you would speak to your people. Speak to their hearts. Allow us to vote in a way that aligns not with our party or their policies, but with the Prince of Peace. And we pray this in the name of your son Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.